Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films and a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never make you realize your true identity. (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our horror movies for a rainy night theme with the 2003 film Identity. Uh, Hence my stupid comment there earlier. Um... (laughs) Uh, So this is a film directed by James Mangold, uh, who, you know, is actually a really great director. You know, he did the film Logan, arguably one of the best, if not the best, X-Men movies. Agreed. (laughs) Uh, And he's also directing the upcoming Indiana Jones film. (gasps) He's a Columbia University graduate, not... The Columbia that Chris and I went oh, to. The, the good the good Columbia. The, the good one from New York. <laughs> uh, and it was written by Michael Cooney, who some of you may know from writing and directing uh, both Jack Frost and Jack Frost 2, <laughs> which is one of my personal favorite go-to Christmas horror movies. I fucking love both of those. They're hilarious. Because they're amazing. <laughs> and that kind of makes sense why identity is the way that it is. I don't think so because really? I yeah because I, well I mean I, I'm not saying that there aren't you know maybe common writing threads in a mm-hmm. sense you know because identity does have some kind of over the top elements to it yep. but but I find it interesting because you know I, I feel like uh, I feel like the Jack Frost movies are are looked down upon <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially by a general public you know where vice versa you know the public tends to really adore identity and, and so I just think it's really cool because it, it just goes to show you you know you can't. You can't judge a filmmaker or a writer by one project. And yeah. so, and, and while I would say that Jack Frost makes Michael Cooney an all-time great, <laughs> <laughs> you know, others might not agree, but Identity, you know, I, I hope at least makes some of them go, oh, you know, maybe 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 Cooney is actually pretty talented. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so he wrote and directed both of those. Uh, he's a playwright that was born in London. Uh, hasn't really done much for a few years, which is unfortunate, mm-hmm. uh, but, I, but I do really adore those Jack Frost movies, and it's been... Awesome kind of seeing them get sort of a second life uh, recently through releases from MVD. And the film stars John Cusack as Ed. And, you know, I I don't think I really have to say, you know, I don't don't think I have to tell you all who John Cusack is. Uh, Comes from a family of actors. A lot of you probably know his sister Joan Cusack. Uh, who he's worked together with before in, in films like Gross Point Blank, which I fucking adore. <laughs> uh, he typically plays the underdog and tends to avoid the spotlight, you know, so he's kind of a lot like his characters in a sense. He's perhaps best known for some of his teen roles, such as the film Say Anything, which we all know the boombox, <laughs> you know, moment from, uh, as well as Better Off Dead, which is an amazing comedy. He did more, he started, he didn't really do a lot of horror before this, but after Identity, he did start to do some more horror films, including 1408 and The Raven. Uh, 1408 is great. I can't say much about the others. (laughs) And it stars Amanda Peet as Paris, uh, 
who was once voted one of the 50 most beautiful people in People magazine from the two from 2000. Yeah, I can understand uh, that. And she kind of became a star after showing up in the whole nine yards, which I understand both of those things after, you know, once you realize that she showed her tits in that movie, too. <laughs> it's all about the tits with you. And isn't it that way with any, you know, man that's attracted to women? Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm going to be honest. That That is the moment that I remember discovering Amanda Peet, uh, you know, <laughs> for reasons. But anyway, it also stars uh, Ray Liotta as Rhodes, probably best known for his starring role in Goodfellas. He typically plays kind of your psychopathic <laughs> or he he typically plays your psychopath gangster or cop you know or a psychopathic cop kind of somewhere in between there either way you do uh, not want to cross cross paths I, with ray liotta either way you do not want to fuck with ray liotta i definitely never would nope. <laughs> and he and you know for horror fans he also appears in the film hannibal uh with a very iconic scene that i won't spoil here for anyone who's never seen it but if you haven't seen it, go watch Hannibal. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and it also stars uh, John C. McGinley as George, uh, a lot, you know, very beloved actor, probably best known for his role as Dr. Perry Cox on Scrubs. Yep. Uh, he got his start actually working with Oliver Stone in Platoon, went on to do some more Oliver Stone movies after that. Uh, he also plays a killer in a film called Intensity, which is adapted off of Dean Koontz's book, which I mentioned because it's my one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Koontz novels. Uh, and he does an amazing job in that role as the killer. Uh, he also stars in a series called Stand Against Evil, which is sort of like a horror comedy series that I personally never got super into, but it seems to be popular, you know, so yeah. I, I would suggest checking it out if you're a fan is. And look, this cast is incredible. I mean, I could go on and on and on with this. You know, we've got uh, John Hawks, Alfred Molina, Clay Duvall, uh, Jake Busey, Pruitt Taylor Vince. You know, just there's so many great actors in this movie. Uh, which makes sense because it's essentially a character horror piece. Yeah. So Identity, for those who haven't seen it, is about a group of strangers who all find themselves stranded at a hotel during a rainy night. And over the course of the night, they begin being killed off. And what at first kind of begins as sort of your typical slasher-esque murder mystery evolves into something a lot more intricate <laughs> uh, than that, let's just say. I uh, don't want to spoil anything here for those who haven't seen it. So uh, we will be spoiling the film. We will be talking about everything that we can get into with it. So if you have not seen Identity, it should be streaming on Netflix at the time that you're listening to this. Uh, if not, it's another one that's well worth the rental. This is one of the really, this is honestly, I think, one of the better early 2000s horror films. It's really well written, really well directed. The cast is all incredible in what they do. So This is one of my favorite horror films before I started dating Matt. Like, right. I fucking love this film. Right. This is one that you claim to have seen a trillion times, quote unquote. <laughs> I mean, for me, yeah, I've seen it a lot until I started dating you. And now the Friday the 13th movie is far outweigh identity. Yeah, well, understandable. <laughs> they're, they're a lot more fun, but identity is still great. So, yep. <laughs> uh, so we do have one brief little bit of spoiler-free content before we get into the film. So uh, we've got our tagline versus the film, which is kind of the tagline and what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for identity was... The secret lies within. So what do you think of the tagline? <laughs> what do you think of identity overall? Okay, so I feel like the tagline only works if you've seen the film. Like, because otherwise... No, it doesn't. 
The secret is within when it's like a slasher and people are at a motel? No, that doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, slashers by definition are full of secrets. No, they're and, not. Yes, they are. <laughs> you should know this being a slasher fan. Almost every slasher has some sort of like deranged or dark secret at the heart of it. You know, yeah. there's, there's always like some awful prank gone wrong or some wrongful murder. Or... Not always. <laughs> Sometimes it's just someone who likes killing people. I mean, not always, but mostly. And then there's also a secret of who the killer is. Even in your uh, beloved Friday the 13th, you know, there are secrets within that franchise, especially in the first and fifth movies. So. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. You're right. I'm wrong. As usual. <laughs> but, hey, but I, okay, obviously I fucking love Identity. And look, it's, Identity is one of those films that very much pulls from the Agatha Christie story and then there were none or previously titled Ten Little Indians. And I fucking love this setup. This is one mm. of my favorite setups in like murder mysteries when you have a group of people who like have never met before and they end up in a random place and they all start getting murdered off and they have no idea why and then it usually ties back to some ridiculous thing. It, like they all like the same flavor ice cream. I love it. <laughs> yes. There's always that one. <laughs> killer out there that's like these fucking people obsessed with their cookie dough ice cream you I mean, goddamn bastards it's chocolate mint every time that's I'm, the only ice cream flavor that's acceptable i mean obviously it's chocolate mint but no you go after the people who like bubblegum ice cream because that's fucking weird i mean yeah that's pretty gross yeah. you know of all the ice creams that you could choose from bubblegum that's, really. that's weird um but, but no i agree i mean look i i adore these kinds of set setups i i love the i i love these things that are that are character based you know because mm -hmm. whenever typically i mean not always you know but typically when you're dealing with these films or or novels or whatever that deal with uh, a bunch of random characters coming together these strangers that all have you know some sort of connection they're, they're typically character pieces that have these kind of not larger than life characters you know but but characters with these personalities that have the, a lot of dark secrets of their own and yeah. so they're always really interesting and and the murder mystery setup is always really pretty intricate with it and, and shocking and surprising. And, you know, I'm going to throw a really random one at you, but it's the reason that I really love Howling 5. <laughs> uh, because, because, of course you bring a werewolf movie into well, this. Well, because Howling 5, you know, feels uh, not as much as Identity, but mildly inspired by And Then There Were None, you know, because it's a similar setup of a bunch of people are brought to this sort of gothic castle um, and they're all strangers and they end up having this connection of, you know, one of them is a werewolf and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and meanwhile, there's a werewolf that's secretly going around murdering them and it, it plays really well as a murder mystery. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's in a lot of ways, less a werewolf movie and more a murder mystery. But anyway, we're not talking about <laughs> Halloween five. So no, so no, I love the setup. It's fantastic. You, you can, you can see this when watching the film is that, I, I wish I still had the Fangoria that has the Michael Cooney interview in it from when Identity was coming out, uh, which, you know, weirdly enough, was right around the time that I started collecting Fangoria was back in 2002, 2003. Uh, so this was one of my first issues. But in that interview, and the only thing I really remember from, from this interview, though, is that, you know, he talked about how he just, like, could not wait to get up to get to work on the script to see what his characters would do, you know? Because that, that's a thing that I, I think a lot of people who don't write maybe don't realize about writing is like, you know, you, you outline and you plan and all that kind of stuff, but the the best writing comes from just kind of letting your characters go and just kind of yeah. see what they do. 
And so, which, which I think sounds weird to people who are like, but aren't you thinking it all up, you know? Yes and no, you know? <laughs> Once you define a, a personality, they just kind of do their own thing. But anyway, um, but he would talk about how he just couldn't wait to get up at like five in the morning and just start writing because he was so excited to see what would happen in his own script. And, and, and you see that with identity, you know, this, I, I've never read the script myself, but you can imagine to be a page turner because it's just full of things happening that make you like anxious to see what happens next, you know? Yeah. And, and this is also a film too, that I have fond memories of because I would watch it with my sister all the time. Aww. You know, this is one of the few horror films that we like bonded over. Cause my sister was never super into horror, but one thing that we did together is we did watch horror movies with just the two of us. And mm. I would kind of let her like, pick which ones she was interested in because i would obviously watch anything yeah uh, so she got to pick so that we could watch it together Aww. and identity good, was good big brother yeah and identity was one of those you know so personally i just love the fact that all the characters are freaking out this entire movie except for john cusack who is cool as a cucumber the entire time as he always is you as know john, john is. cusack's just a cool dude so. he is he's just a chill dude he's unflappable unflappable indeed <laughs> and just to give you an idea before we move into spoilers here of just how secretive this film was this is one of those movies where there were actually multiple endings shot for the film because they were trying to keep it a secret of you know who the killer is in the movie you know so so they shot multiple endings to kind of like you know not let it leak out essentially which i always think it's kind of a shame that like films even have to do that because like what a phenomenal waste of time (laughs) (laughs) but i want to see the alternate endings well i would too i i don't think that they're anywhere available that I can recall. <laughs> I, I don't know that they were ever released. But yeah, so it's just one of those kinds of films where like they were keeping it all secret, you know, until release. So I just think it's really cool. But anyway, so we're about to move into spoilers now with Identity. So if you have not seen the film, please go do so. Otherwise, we're about to ruin everything for you. So let's start with the setup of the movie and and the fact that this all takes place at a hotel in the middle of a rainstorm. You know, what? what is it about that that you think works so well for the movie or why you think that that was kind of what they decided to go with? Because you could have set this anywhere. You could have done but, anything with this. But could you have? Well, tell me yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, if we're being, like, you know, literal with this, you know, this, this whole setup of the movie is about malcolm rivers and this person who has a uh, dissociative identity disorder and malcolm has- rivers played by pruitt taylor vince yes yeah. and all of his identities ostensibly meeting and kind of duking it out for lack of a better term there can only be one <laughs> very highlander you know if we're being like super literal with why at a hotel and a rainstorm and all that kind of stuff you know malcolm's personalities were born at a hotel because he was abandoned there by his prostitute mother who locked him in a closet and left him there you know i never actually thought about that aspect of it really well yeah you know because i i view the the way i view the hotel and Mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt but the way (laughs) the the way i view the hotel is stephen king talked about this a lot and and you see this in a lot of stephen king stories it's kind of something he goes back to now and then king talks about like the warehouse of the mind you know so like if you if you read a lot of king books you'll often find characters like in particular uh, the movie dream or the story Dreamcatcher. Mm -hmm. you'll find characters that you know, they have sort of like these structural buildings to kind of represent their mind and oh, like the everything. Mind palaces. Be- yeah, the mind palaces, exactly. Mm. And so so I always viewed kind of the hotel as sort of like the perfect sort of setup for that, you know, where mm. it's this place that Malcolm and his personalities uh, are kind of like stored away in a sense, you know? Exactly. Well, so 
Yeah, that's exactly why I think it has to be a motel. Like, so... But you think it has to be a motel because of the fact that that's kind of where they were born. Yeah. So there's a show called The Mentalist, which has this dude who basically cons people, but he explains mind palaces and how you build them. And Hannibal Lecter also talks about this. I don't think in any of the movies, but he talks about it in the books. But mind palaces are always built out of a place that you have really strong connection to. And and for Malcolm, it's going to be motels just because of the trauma of being locked in a fucking closet while your mom does his job that'll, does her job that'll do it yeah when, well she does quite a few jobs <laughs> i mean in an ideal world Indeed. you know then she's bringing home the money but yeah so it has to be something that has like a deep emotional resonance to the person and you know our our doc dr malik played by alfred molina you know he's the one who talks about how that's where all this trauma was born so it kind of makes sense for me that we're going back to the beginning we're going back to where all of this started taking the personality ostensibly back to where they were born and making them Highlander it out to see who gets to be the dominant personality. Mm. On the flip side, motels are fucking perfect for this setup because like motels are these awesome like liminal spaces, right? Where time doesn't really seem to exist because it's like a transitory, you know, space, right? Um, and there so, is no time. <laughs> exactly. And like motels are such interesting it's a construct. Anyway. <laughs> Motels are such like interesting places because if you really think about it, like how many lives do you end up crossing when you go to a hotel or a motel? Well, well, and and the thing is, like within that, you know, you cross through all these lives that, you know, y- you either normally wouldn't interact with these people, mm-hmm. or you are just kind of like, yeah, what two ships pass in the night or whatever, exactly. right? Like, like you 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 have no idea, kind of the 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 life of the person you're interacting with you know you don't know if you're interacting with a criminal a psychotic say mm-hmm. uh, a hooker on her way to florida <laughs> to start her own orange grove you know like oh. you, you don't you don't there there is so much that you're passing through there but you don't mm-hmm. really realize it you know and it's kind of like the one place that those things sort of come together so so no i i agree with you i think i think that it is the perfect place to set it up for that reason you know mm-hmm. it is a place where strangers come together you know outside of maybe something like a cruise or something <laughs> like that uh, which could have been fun too you know a cruise set in the middle of the ocean oh, i but... love a cruise one <laughs> uh maybe for the sequel that'll never happen because we're now 20 years later uh, <laughs> but but no but so i was really like that and then the storm element i think is great too because you know obviously in a in a more literal sense, the storm is playing into it because as this is happening, uh, you know, as these as Malcolm is being put through this experience or this mm-hmm. experiment, whatever you want to call it, as he's being put through that, there is a storm raging outside. So that's obviously working its way into his mind as mm-hmm. this is happening. But I think that the storm works so well too because you know the essentially what's happening here is Malcolm is sort of in a way discovering himself, you know, yeah. because he's, he's lived this life of, you know, having disassociative identity disorder and, you know, having these, these split personalities that, you know, are all kind of living their own lives in a sense. And because of that, I would argue that Malcolm doesn't really know his true self in a sense. Mm-hmm. So in that way, he is discovering his own self. And, you know, when you're discovering yourself, it's, it's a period of, tumultuousness you know it's it's a period of kind of going through like raging and screaming and crying you know that that it it is an ugly thing to kind of 
realize who you really are because it's not always pretty, you know? You, it's not skipping through a field full of daisies. <laughs> sure. It's, you know, you're not... <laughs> Like there, like there, there's an ugliness to it, you know. You're going through memories and experiences and, and the things that made you who you are, and there's a lot of hurt and anger within that, you know. So, so I love that you have this storm that's raging as this is happening because mm -hmm. to me that's really just you know Malcolm kind of going through all of those emotions, yeah, in in sort of you know dealing with who he is at his heart <laughs> and and then it just works so well too because as the film goes on you know i love that the the hotel starts to kind of crumble and fall apart the more that these personalities are being destroyed because it's almost in a sense kind of like you know malcolm is destroying this this sort of you know he's destroying this construct that he's made he's he's destroying what for him has been an easier way to kind of deal with all of his trauma. Yeah. And so, you know, it only makes sense that this hotel is kind of going down in a pretty <laughs> like apocalyptic way. You know, you've got like power lines falling and, <laughs> and rooms being smashed through and ceilings caving in, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's so, it's just so chaotic. And I love that about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't have housing for personalities. He doesn't, he's getting rid of ostensibly no more housing for them. We're trying to move on to Florida. Florida and orange groves and sunshine. Yeah, no no more no more shitty hotels in the middle of Nevada where I'm not even sure you can get porn. So. What do you need porn? I mean, listen, if you're traveling on the road by yourself at a hotel back in 2003, you know, well, well, 2003, I mean, maybe there would yeah, I mean, there was internet porn then, but it wasn't like now, you know? But well, I mean, you, you have, our... have cell phones you can just yeah. look it up on. So. <laughs> you just had flip phones, and you can't look up porn on a flip phone. Right, right. This was, this was, this was like just on the cusp of, okay, I don't have to go to HBO anymore for like late night porn. So, <laughs> so yes, Chris, it was essential that hotels have porn for lonely people traveling through the middle of fucking Nevada. Just bring a <laughs> magazine, man. Now, magazines are boring. <laughs> Who just wants to look at pictures? I Come don't on. Know. <laughs> but also, I mean, that's all great. And like, and it's fun too. Like when you watch this film and you know the secret of it, it it, it becomes really interesting kind of watching when when the sort of power outages are happening, you know? Mm -hmm. Like one that stuck out to me was when the lights kind of flicker and then all of a sudden little Timmy, played by Brett Lower wakes up from his nap and like goes off to the other room to as we learn later murder his mom you know <laughs> and and so i i think that that's probably because you know i i feel like these lights flickering sort of symbolize like malcolm kind of coming in and out of his subconscious you know mm -hmm. where you can sort of assume that maybe right before that moment malcolm was kind of like out of this space and in the real world you know yeah and then he kind of slips back into this and another identity takes over and you know then yeah. it gives him time to kind of go play murder you know <laughs> as as little timmy's <laughs> i do think it's fascinating with the with the personalities the fact that they kind of almost have like a sixth sense you know, mm. when it comes to the other personalities and things that are going on, you know, because there's like an interesting moment when Rhodes, Ray Liotta shows up for the first time and Ginny, who is a nervous wreck of this entire movie, kind of is just like, do you feel that? 
it's cold of like, oh, the personalities well, know when like a negative personality shows up. Well, it, it play well not just negative personality. It, it plays into the the opening poem, you know, that mm -hmm. Malcolm claims that he wrote, which it is actually based on a real poem, by the way, written by William Hughes Mearns. But it plays into that poem, which I don't remember the exact words of, but something of like, you know, I met a man on the stairs. I met a man who wasn't there. Whatever, you know, <laughs> we know the poem. Yeah, it, it plays into that, I think, because to me, that poem is sort of you know, reflecting on that idea of like these other personalities being just out of reach, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, that they're there, but they're not there. You don't want them to be there. They're kind of like, you know, shadows appearing just out of the corner of your eye. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, you can't really be certain that they're real, but you feel that they are, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's kind of where I think that sort of poem comes from for Malcolm and for all of his, you know, personalities is just like, knowing that each other exists and feeling that, mm -hmm. but not really being able to see each other until they've come together for this whole, you know, battle royale. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something else I find, I find interesting about them, though, is the idea that, uh, which, I, which it took me years to really realize this, but the, the fact that all of the identities kind of are like paired mm -hmm. in a way, too, which I thought was interesting, you know? Because you have a bunch of them arriving in pairs to the hotel, you know, like like Cusack and uh, the actress Caroline, played by Re Rebecca De Mornay, who I can't believe I didn't mention her with the cast either. <laughs> you know, they're, they're all arriving in these pairs. And I think that that's just really interesting because it, you know, to, to me, it just kind of speaks to the idea of like duality throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, the sense that they're the sense that every pair is kind of made of like these dueling personalities. You know, there's one character for each character in this that is kind of like their opposite foil, you know, yeah. where they have like a hatred for each other, a disliking for each other. And it almost kind of plays like each of these pairs in a way is representative of different portions of malcolm's personality mm -hmm. battling with what he has sort of conjured up as his mother's personality <laughs> yeah no that's kind of how i feel about all this is like when you when you look at the pairs they are almost all of them are dysfunctional almost all of them to your point are at odds and i feel like that's what we're dealing with malcolm throughout this entire film is that all of his personalities are at odds and ostensibly the whole point of this thing is there is there seems to be no true Malcolm personality. There's not mm. a Malcolm at the motel. Um, I it, disagree. Okay. <laughs> well, fine. Be that way. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> There's not really a Malcolm. I didn't see a Malcolm really at the motel. I feel like all of them are, to your point, the representations of different aspects of his personality or how he interacts with the world. And all of this whole process is about ostensibly finding him his pair, right? Finding his alternate personality that, like, a doesn't fucking murder people because mm. that's the whole goal of this it's find his personality that doesn't murder him that helps him deal with the trauma of his life and all of these pairs are being like okay you don't want to be like these guys you don't want to be like these guys <laughs> see i i disagree because the one and only character who doesn't have a pair mm -hmm. is timmy <laughs> yeah. you know so so the way that i see it is that when, when you consider the fact that you know, that, that Malcolm supposedly split his, his mind split into these personalities when he was a child. Mm -hmm. I sort of view it as 
that child timmy this this angry murderous well well (laughs) murderous yes because he's developed that over time but this angry confused child you know i view that as the real malcolm Mm -hmm. because and, and it's not to say that malcolm is purely that because obviously you know i i don't know a lot about dissociative identity disorder but but i i think the the bare bones description of it is essentially you know all these personalities, they are split fragments of Malcolm's mind. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're different, they're different versions of either who he is or who he wants to be or, or just what he knows, you know, because you do have these characters that, that are much more representative of his mother. But ultimately, you know, if you consider that Malcolm and his mind split as a child, then I think it makes sense to assume that Timmy is kind of the, the purest form of Malcolm's personality because that is who he was at the moment that you know this happened to him mm-hmm. and and every every other personality you know represents a piece of that but timmy is the only one who really doesn't have that pair to go with him you know he's kind of like alone in that sense you know cuz everyone else has one like like paris you know sh- her pairing is is uh is, is larry <laughs> Yeah, her pairings, Larry, and you know how how they're always button heads. Uh, Ray Liotta's character and Jake Busey, you know, they arrive together. Lou, played by William Lee Scott, and and Clay Duvall's character, you know, they're obviously a pair. Like, and, and then you even have uh, the the two characters that that uh, that don't play into the story much like the guy who's in the hotel room in the beginning mm-hmm. and the one who's in the freezer that we find out <laughs> who hit it, or that Larry hid in there, which, you know, they, they originally had more of a, a thing too. Like the guy in the hotel room was uh, initially supposed to be the first kill in the film, uh, but they, but I think it was deemed that that would kind of like interrupt the flow of it because he wasn't going to die at the hotel. So, you know, there, there's the different pairings going on. And I think what's kind of cool about it is, you know, it kind of ties back to their the connection with their birthdays, you know, because because I I want to assume that Cooney probably you know picked that date for a reason mm-hmm. and picked that astrological symbol of the Taurus for a reason, and you know, so a Taurus like and look whether or not you believe in <laughs> astrological bullshit <laughs> doesn't really matter. We're looking at how it applies to this film and. You know, a Taurus is supposed to be this personality that that seeks stability, but is also extremely frightening and emotional when angry. You know, they have mm-hmm. a they have a they have a strong anger to them, but they but they try to maintain a, sta- a stability, right, and, and a calm personality. And which it, we see in all of our characters, all of our characters are striving for stability and having like a home and figuring all their shit out right. and do not respond well to stress. Right. Exactly. No, they, they all have it. They, they're all seeking something to better their lives, to, mm-hmm. to make them more stable, to make them happier. But they all have this extremely emotional side to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it just makes you wonder, looking at the idea of all these personalities, being a part of Malcolm, if, you know, it's it begins to add a sympathy to Malcolm, you know, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he's this, you know, ultimately this guy who's murdered so many women. Yeah, <laughs> like, he murdered a shit ton of people. <laughs> it, it almost sort of adds a sympathy to him because it gives you the sense that Malcolm himself just wants to be normal. Yeah. You know, he is seeking that. And that's what's happening here is he is trying, I think, to to find that stability and to 
and, and you know, and to become better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but as we see with these personalities, which again I think are just the the dueling sides of he and his mother, a, as we see with that, like there's just there's almost too much trauma to overcome there to get over the anger that he has. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. Just because like. Look, I, I love this movie, but this movie does not like women, and it kind of shows, and it shows that Malcolm... Well, it's not that the movie doesn't like women, it's Malcolm doesn't like yeah. women. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things of, like, it very much shows that Malcolm has a very complicated relationship with, I, honestly, I would say both genders. Cause oh, it, yeah. Yeah, originally when I watched Identity, and even on our first rewatch, it was just like, oh, this movie's like a dick like, to the female characters and how they talk about them, um, just because, like, look, Paris walks into the motel, and she just looks like a girl who walked out of the 2000s. There's nothing special about it her. It was 2003. Yeah, and she look, she's gorgeous, but Larry is instantly like, you a fucking whore? That's a whore. <laughs> and it's just like, there's nothing about Paris that screams, like, I have sex yeah, for money. Yeah, it's like, come on, Larry. She doesn't even have a tramp stamp. Leave her alone. <laughs> right. And it's it's kind of this Not thing. saying that those are bad in any way. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's interesting things of just, like, you know, how Larry interacts with, with Paris the entire time is not great. Then you have Ginny's character, who is, you know, this very kind of, like, anxious female character who fucking lied to her boyfriend about being pregnant because she thought he was cheating on her which honestly jenny do not you don't need to be with a dude that you think is cheating on you that's that's a terrible well i mean yeah but that's the tragedy of jenny's character right exactly <laughs> you know and then you've got carolyn who is just the most self-centered person in this entire movie and has one of my favorite lines as ed's like manhandling her out of the car where she's just like i understand the bleeding woman has a medical condition but so do i i'm like a medical condition bitch she's dying you need to chill no it's but this is this is also what's fascinating about the movie is that and and why i and what i think ultimately makes malcolm himself such an interesting character despite the Mm -hmm. fact that he's not really on screen much which is that you know on one hand, you have this you have this character who is who, as far as we understand, you know, w- was traumatized as a child, mm-hmm. ha- had a mother that he didn't respect, who abused him, uh, a stepdad or a-, a father who left him and was probably abusive as well, yep. and, and and you know he became a murderer. And so, y- on one hand, you have this character that you just I think as a societal norm, you naturally assume that he just has a pure hatred for women and a pure hatred for his mother, mm-hmm. you know, and, and is a monster and whatever. But when you really start to study the characters in this, what I think is fascinating is that the male characters are actually the ones that have the most anger. Yeah. They, they are the vicious ones. They're the violent ones. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. women, alternatively, they are mistreated by the men. Yep. And and they and, and you know some of them like uh, like Caroline you know don't maybe have the most shining personalities, <laughs> but there's also a, a sympathy to mm-hmm. a lot of the women, in particular Paris, who most closely represents His you know mom. Malcolm's mother, which I just think is so interesting because y- you would think that Paris would be you know from Malcolm's point of view, you would think that Paris would be like the most awful character because she so closely represents who his mother was to him. 
but she's actually, you know, arguably the most sympathetic character of any of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, it makes me really believe that, like, with with his mom, that she didn't want to do what she was doing, but she was doing it because she didn't have any other way to put ostensibly money on the table, you know? And it makes me think with how much Paris talks about, like, you know, the orange groves and the fact that she wants to go back to Florida, which is also where Malcolm was born, that that's the dream that his mom kept building on him. And mm. so for me, like, I look at the female characters as, I look at the female characters as, like, the three points that he viewed his mom of, like, yes, there's the whore who has aspirations to be able to give up this life, you know, have a patch of land of her own and do that. There's the Ginny character, which represented the anxiety he watched in his mom, who potentially, like, you know, tried to trick some of her Johns into thinking she was pregnant to get somebody to stand up the way that Lou, you know, stands up for Ginny. He marries her. Like, Lou's not a great guy, has the best name in this fucking movie, because his name is Lou Sienna, and I fucking love it. Indeed. <laughs> but, like, he, he stands up, Ginny tells him he's pre she's pregnant, and he marries her. And then you have the the Caroline aspect, which I think represents, you know, the more selfish moments that his mom would have. So I think that's the dichotomy of how he viewed his mother and her different personalities. And then well, to your point with the dudes, like, yeah, the dudes are not, they're not great dudes. Well, well, they're the all bastards. Well, the dudes are all either killers or were suicidal at one point or, mm -hmm. you know, like they're... Or, or are just completely empty shells of people, you know? Like Except for George. I love George. He's just a nervous Nelly, and he's my favorite. A nervous Nelly. Yes, he is. Um, <laughs> he has to talk himself through every step, and I relate to that. Yeah. I just think it's funny, too, that, <laughs> you know, I, all the women are going to hate this, but, like, when you... <laughs> but it's not me. It's Malcolm, you know? But when you, but, but, but when you look at it, too, it is kind of funny to me that... that the, the women are all sort of the cause of the accidents in the beginning because now hang on because now now ostensibly it's not like through direct action but mm -hmm. you know but you do have paris whose shoe is the one that causes uh timmy's car to you know get a flat tire and be stalled on the road mm -hmm. and then timmy's mother backs up right into the middle of the street <laughs> and let and as john cusack runs her down which, I mean, granted, not 100% her fault, but also oh. not not her fault. Okay. <laughs> but but the point I'm trying to make is I, I'm not personally blaming the women for anything, but I think it's interesting that Malcolm sort of views the women, it seems, as kind of being like the drivers of the conflict, but mm -hmm. then the men sort of take over with the violence, you know? <laughs> they escalate so, it. Right. So, so it's sort of, you know, I, I think that that would tie into probably what it was like for him growing up with his mom and dad because... You know, you could sort of look at it as like his mom potentially doing things that drove his dad to this rage. I'm not blaming the mother, but I'm yeah. saying, you know, like like the mother could eat a fucking bagel in a way that annoys the dad and he would flip out in a rage, you know. But mm -hmm. I, so I'm more looking at it like in Malcolm's point of view, you know, the way he was brought up, he probably often viewed you know, his mother doing things that drove his dad to like this extreme anger. Mm -hmm. And then his dad would like unleash this rage. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so I think that's probably part of why maybe there's a little bit of sympathy, you know, towards the female characters from Malcolm's point of view. But I think there's also a sense too, that, you know, maybe for all we know, Malcolm's mother could have been a horrible abusive mother that mm -hmm. gets that deserves no sympathy whatsoever. She did lock and, her child in a closet. <laughs> well, right, exactly. So so I think that 
you know, the other side of this is that Malcolm, again, these are personalities, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not, they're not his mother. Yeah. So it's also interesting to me because he probably in a lot of ways developed these personalities to be what he wanted from his mother, Mm -hmm. you know, to, 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 to find the love from her that he needed. And, and why, why I said that I feel like Malcolm going back to this, why, why I said that Malcolm, I think is most elect, most directly represented by Timmy Mm -hmm. is because you know, these characters, they all are either childish themselves or have almost kind of like a childlike development or personality, you know, because you've got Ginny who is pretty childish, right? Yeah. Like it, it's pretty fucking childish to fake a pregnancy because you're mad at your boyfriend, you know, like yeah. it's not exactly the best thing to do, you know? So she herself is kind of like a child, mm-hmm. but then you also have other examples like, uh, like John Cusack's character, Ed, who he has sort of like this very stereotypical cliche kind of, you know, policeman <laughs> backstory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it almost kind of feels like, you know, like uh, Malcolm just developed a lot of these from a childlike perspective of, well, this is just what he's seen in movies, you know, that's the the depressed cops, right? Or, yeah. or like the psychotic con men, you know, they're all just very like, childlike representations of these kind of tropey personalities. Yeah, I feel like both Ed and Rhodes definitely feel like characters that he watched on television. You know, and even Robert, our other con, you know, that we see in the film, he's not really there very much. I definitely feel like those are representations for him of what he kind of feels like masculinity is supposed to be. You know, mm. it's supposed to be like, exactly, yeah. yeah, it's supposed to be more aggro or it's supposed to be weight of the world on your shoulders, detective. And then I feel like our characters like um, like Larry and Lou are more true to life people he actually interacted with. I 100% bet that Larry for Malcolm was based on other motel people that he saw and how they interacted with his his mom and just like or you know potential no, I, I would or argue her that, johns no i would argue that they're just the weaker sides of himself you know mm-hmm. like like the other thing the other thing with this is all the weaker personalities die first larry you know? makes it almost to the end and he's a skeevy weak dude but Larry, but Larry isn't because Larry is also conniving and a liar, and mm-hmm. you know, and hides bodies in freezers. Right. Plus, I would argue that Larry is a stronger character than, say, Lou or Ginny or. Okay, you're not necessarily <laughs> wrong about that. You know, so so I'm not saying that like Larry's the strongest man alive, but. <laughs> But he's a stronger character, you know, he's more of a survivalist, I guess, than you could say than, like, you know, Ginny or something, right? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, but the whole childlike thing also kind of plays into, like, what's happening at the hotel, you know, because, and especially through Ginny, you know, go figure. (laughs) (laughs) What are you, Ginny, 15? (laughs) I, I feel like, for a lot of people, maybe, the point where you really start to kind of sit back your first time watching this film and go... Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on here. <laughs> is when is when the uh, the tribal burial ground idea <laughs> is introduced by Ginny, you know, and and she thinks that the hotel's like haunted by sp- like pissed off spirits and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know. For me, like I had already kind of put a lot of it together because the one thing I wish the film did a little bit better was be a little bit more secretive about what's going on with the institution stuff. Like the whole opening credits 
pretty much tell you everything you need to know about the movie. <laughs> Only if you're paying attention. Well, and I was. And so, <laughs> and so, well, while I didn't figure it out right away, you know, you do kind of start to piece together of like, okay, there's something going on here, you know, that's not, that, that isn't being spoon fed to me, but there's something going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's when, it's when Ginny introduces this idea of the tribal burial ground that you go, okay, all right. <laughs> Now, now we're just getting weird. And and now I, now I kind of know what's going on here, you know, because, Uh because the idea itself is so ludicrous that especially on revisiting it, you know, you realize like how childish of a concept that really is, you know, Mm -hmm. like you could, you could probably assume that Malcolm, you know, watched fucking Poltergeist when he was a kid. (laughs) And, and that's just playing right into, you know, this little scenario going on in his head because it's really the same goddamn setup from Poltergeist, you know? Mm-hmm. They they moved the gravestones, but they didn't move the bodies, you know? It's the same <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> Which, by the way, we're talking about Poltergeist next week, you know? But but it's it's that same sort of thing, and so it's it's just it's such a childish kind of you know trope or idea to to play into this that it really does make me think like Malcolm is just stuck in this childlike sort of persona. <laughs> I definitely agree with you that I think that Malcolm is is stuck. He's stuck in the childlikeness. He can't get past and he can't grow past that that initial trauma that happened when he was so young. And so he can't move beyond that. For me, I honestly think that the Indian burial ground is basically like that whole thing is to keep people like myself from being strung along just a little bit longer. I mean, I mean, look, that that is what it's there for. It's it's for people like you. But yep. it, <laughs> like it took me an inordinate amount of time before I realized what was going on. Yeah, no, I mean, it's obviously there to kind of string along people who haven't figured it out yet just a little <laughs> bit longer, you know, and. and and, 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 you know, and it works to a degree because uh, if, you, if you haven't figured out what's happening yet, you know, there, there is a really cool kind of sur- supernatural sort of twist working its way into the film before you realize what the twist really is. Like, I love when Jake Busey is, you know, trying to escape and he and he shows up back at the hotel and yeah. he's like, what the fuck? Like, the first time I watched it, like, I still hadn't fully put it together at that point. Mm-hmm. And I did have that moment of like you know, oh shit, like <laughs> something weird is going on here, you know? <laughs> well, and I think that if I remember right, Ginny right before that had started talking about the Indian burial ground. So when that happens, I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, we just got some fucky supernatural shit going I, on. I don't know if she had mentioned that yet. You could be right, but I do know that she had mentioned like kind of like a chilling presence or something, you know? Yeah. And and it does, it does really throw you for a loop and make you think that, like especially when you get Busey's kill with a baseball bat shoved down his throat, because because right. that that's such an intense like you have to be pretty powerful person to to do that kind of thing sort mm-hmm. of kill that you're like okay maybe there's something supernatural going on here you know yeah I'm not gonna lie I didn't realize that this was all of Malcolm's personality just duking it out until a Alfred Molina told me and then B, you know, Edward Ed showing up in, in Malcolm's body and going, what the fuck did you do to my face? Well, well, listen, I'm not a scientist, but I did figure out the sixth sense twist in the first three minutes. Yeah. Well, you're a smarty pants and it took me the entire movie until he uh, told me. But, but I mean, look, this is what's so cool about identity is that, you know, it, it has unlimited rewatch value because mm-hmm. There is so much to to look at and think about and uncover every time you watch it, you know? Like I love that when you when you revisit this film and you know the twist, uh 
all of the clues are there. Like it really does follow pretty closely along the lines of the Agatha Christie novel, you know, like it, like all of the clues are there because it, it basic, like for all, honestly, you know, identity is essentially like a soft remake of, and then there were none because you do have all these things like, like the basic setup, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the, the tribal burial ground thing is sort of a tie to the original title of that novel, 10 little Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also the fact too, that, well, they mention it, but then there's, you know, they mention the novel, but then there's also the fact too, that, uh, Timmy dies. And in the novel, the character or the killer is supposedly killed off at one point only to show back up later on, you know? Yeah. So, so honestly, all it's basically a remake of that. And, and all the clues are there for you to kind of figure out right down to the amount of characters. <laughs> so. I definitely agree with you, but I do not think that all the clues are there to point to Timmy being the killer. <laughs> Well, no, not Timmy being the killer. Okay. I mean, well, I mean, sort of, because... No, no small child can shove a baseball bat down a man's throat. <laughs> I'm fixated on that kill. A small child cannot do that. No, but it but it does... But all of the nods to Timmy being the killer are there, you know, because... Yeah, when they show you the rerun at the end. No, 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 not that. Even before then, you know, because, again, if you're... Like, look, if you're following the Agatha Christie novel, you know, sort mm-hmm. of... Uh, sort of scenario then it would make sense that you know the killer would be someone who you think is already dead and so you know so at at a certain point it kind of comes down to okay well it's either Ginny or timmy because they're the only two people that we don't actually see die both of their bodies are gone they're the only two bodies or pieces of bodies that are not found you know yeah and 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 so timmy ended ending up being the killer is, is just so perfect because fucking loved it i like the first time i watched it i guessed that timmy was a killer like as a joke you know where you're just like (laughs) yeah i hope the kid's killing everybody ha ha ha, yeah i bet that was a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) and then there's just such a delight in finding out that you're right about such an absurd guess no totally but but it works so well because it you know it it ties into sort of the theme of child abandonment that Malcolm went through, you know, because when you, when you watch the film, it almost becomes obnoxious how little attention the adults actually pay to Timmy, you know, (laughs) like there are certain, there are certain points where you forget Timmy's in the goddamn movie uh, (laughs) because all the adults are off doing their thing. And Timmy's just kind of in the background being completely forgotten about, you know, there's always an adult with him. Well, but is George? there? Well, obviously George is. Obviously George is doing a pretty shitty job because <gasps> Timmy's doing a lot of killing behind George's backs. <laughs> George is doing his best. He's a stepfather. Don't you malign George? But no. But that's the point, though, is that you know Timmy, Timmy, aka Malcolm, uh, did not get the attention and the love that he needed, mm-hmm. and and it and it's a theme of child abandonment because you have you know even in this contained space where a bunch of adults are around people completely forget that Timmy exists, you know, like they just completely forget about him. And we, as the audience forget about him and, and it allows him to just be sneaking around doing all the killing because, (laughs) because nobody's paying attention to him. You know, that, that's really, that, that's the point of the movie is it's supposed to make you not pay attention to Timmy, just Mm. like the adults in his life did to Malcolm. Well, and I would, I would also argue just like the, the doctor's not paying attention to Malcolm. Like, there's that moment when, again, he brings Ed, you know, to the forefront as the main identity so he can talk with him, you know, and he tells him, hey, you have a murderous identity who's there with you. You need to figure this shit out. 
But, you know, the doctor is so focused on potentially trying to maybe see the good in Malcolm or trying to assume that a personality, you know, a good personality would take over. He completely ignores Malcolm and his trauma and all that kind of stuff. And that's why he fucking gets choked out at the end. Because, like, he's just, he's not, to your point, he's not paying attention. He's not watching the signs. He's not paying attention to, like, anything that's going on. And so Timmy gets him. Timmy gets everybody. Yeah. It, no second chances for whores. Uh, <laughs> sure, Chris. Um, well, so this is the this is the one point of conflict in the film that that I do think is a little iffy for me. You know, I I I don't mind Timmy being the killer. I like that, but I did. Yeah, and I never thought about it this way before. But I did do uh, my friend Sarah, aka at Sinful underscore Redheads podcast on Twitter. Uh, which you should follow her and, and follow her podcast. But I did her podcast a while back where we talked about identity. Yes. Talked about identity with somebody else. Yes, I, I cheated on you with identity. <gasps> um, <laughs> we all talked about this. I think there's like four of us. And, you know, kind of, we all ended up sort of agreeing that the one negative mark on identity is in the sense that there's kind of a mixed message on the mental health element of it you know oh yeah which is that like we spend we spend so long with the movie and the fact that we are you know kind of exploring the mind of someone dealing with mental illness and and in that sense you know granting us sympathy towards a person like that because you know i I think i think it's just commonplace for society unfortunately to to look at people with mental illness and just assume like oh they're just crazy or you Mm -hmm. know he's just a murderer and a bastard or whatever you know and, and we don't really take into account kind of what's going on inside the person's mind. And so identity is this really great kind of unique look inside of a person. And it, it offers that sympathy and shows you that like they're not, you know, the thing with Malcolm is he's not just a murderer. Like as the film is trying to explain, th- there are other parts to him that are good, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there are other parts to him that are good that he wants to be. And, and this is a struggle within him internally of like trying to become that person, basically, you know, yeah. it's, it's honestly just like, in a sense, kind of like the rest of us, like we're all struggling to be the best version of ourselves and we don't always achieve that. It's a battle, but we try, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so to have all of that and then in the end, just kind of be like, Nah, the fucking vicious <laughs> murdering side <laughs> wins, you know? Like, it's it's a little bit, I think, of a slap in the face kind of to what the rest of the film is trying to say and offering sympathy mm-hmm. to, to someone with this condition by ultimately just being like, nah, fucking be afraid of them. They're going to kill you, <laughs> you know? I, I don't disagree with you because I do yeah. think a lot of horror films don't handle this great or use it as, as a villain. No, I mean, honestly, Identity is one of the better it versions is. because for such a long, long time, mm-hmm. you know, in particularly through the 80s and the 90s, uh, mental health was portrayed horribly in horror, you know? Like any yeah. like anytime, anytime you're dealing with... Uh, mental patients uh, and in hospitals and stuff like that. Like these characters are treated very badly. (laughs) One one of the few that I think does a decent job with it uh, is the film alone in the dark, which isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the four killers in it are all mental patients, but there's kind of a, a, a side of sympathy to them to sort of show like these are disturbed people, you know, who don't necessarily like, they're just confused. They're not, murderous inherently Mm -hmm. they're confused you know and it's 
you know, I do agree that, you know, Identity does one of the better jobs with this out of mm. a lot of horror films. You know, for me personally, look, I think that this movie is touching on the failings of the judicial system for accounting for mental illness and taking that into account. You know, I think that if, you know, the, well, the judge had taken Malcolm's condition more seriously, then he wouldn't have been forced, the doctor wouldn't well, be forced to put Malcolm through, you know, a controversial, potentially, like, medical thing. Well, well look, I mean, but that but that's just the point of what I'm saying, though, yeah. is that, is that you know the the judge ultimately does decide like okay you're right he mm-hmm. should he should be at a state hospital we shouldn't execute him like he stays the execution and everything only to have it turn right back around in his face and be like all right and now Malcolm has killed everyone and escaped <laughs> you know but he's he's only turned around because the doctor is forced to put the personalities in a Highlander situation which no he's the, why are you kidding me he, no because Malcolm was going to be executed and doctor the doctor's trying to prove that he has this this thing and, and he proves it he, and and it's supposed to be like a, a winning moment. He does, Malcolm, but he Malcolm, puts puts him in a Highlander situation, which I don't think is healthy for not, Malcolm. That's not what. But Malcolm was already a murderer, Chris. It doesn't do any more damage to him. It mm-hmm. what like I would argue that the that had you know they actually killed off Timmy and and Paris been the last one to survive, I would argue that it would have worked. You know, so. Mm-hmm. So no, I think that's completely wrong. I don't think that the doctor is what is what you know ultimately made Malcolm kill everyone in the end. <laughs> I, I think that I th- I think again I think that it's it's the one flaw in the film is that by having it end with this kind of victory mm-hmm. and then to and with with the judge himself even being like all right we're gonna stay the execution like that's a that's a huge win. Uh, in a commentary on the judicial system and how it doesn't understand people with mental illness, mm-hmm. that's a huge win for him to be like, all right, you've proven your point. We're going to stay the execution. That that to have it just turn around and Malcolm's murderer's personality wins and then, you know, kind of slaps a judge right in the face and makes sure that he'll never make that decision again. You know, I, I think that that's the point that's kind of like... Which I feel like is such bullshit because, like, the, the prosecutor suppressed evidence. The only reason why they're having to do this is because they suppressed the journals that proved that Malcolm had this condition. Well, whatever. I mean, that doesn't really... Yeah, I mean, of course. Like, that that, that, all, happens, that all happens before the movie even starts. Like, mm-hmm. it, just, it just... Yeah, it's commentary on how much the judicial system sucks. Yep. But all right, so we do have to start wrapping up. So, although I... One last thing I will say is I, I do love that, you know... As tragic it is as it is that Cusack ends up sacrificing himself in the end, mm-hmm. uh, and I I think that it's because he knows that he is not the better personality, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, and that he feels like the good in Paris. You know, she's the only one that kind of like has hopes and dreams that's left. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I always kind of love that he sort of sacrifices himself in the end with <laughs> also when with you Rhodes find, there. I feel like he had a moment where she's like, "I'm not a real person anymore." I don't know how to deal with this. You know, fuck it. I'm just going to kill that guy. He's going to kill me and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, all right. So we got to wrap it up. So who is your killer idiot of identity? It's Jenny and Lou for fucking leaving the group. Horror movie 101. Don't leave the fucking group. Otherwise you get murdered. So they're yeah. idiots. Yeah, not a good call. Um, I'm going to go with Larry uh, just because he is a total mess of a person. and <laughs> He is. And, you know, he's just he's pretty much a dumbass. Like he, he pretty much outs himself <laughs> uh, in, in being a 
cover upper <laughs> of a death in the end there and getting caught with all the stolen wallets he has. <laughs> I I would almost love Larry as a character because he's such a mess of a human being, except for that he's such a dick to Paris that fuck that guy. I mean, yeah, he's a pretty huge sexist, so, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to love him. But yep. uh, what about your killer death? Look, that's Robert getting the fucking bat to the throat. That death is so ridiculous. I mean, I know we don't see it, but like him just, you know, them walking around a corner and just seeing this dude with a fucking deep throating a bat is just too fucking hilarious. Deep throating a bat, the name of my next porno. Um, <laughs> Ew. Are uh, you doing gay porn now? No, but I, I'm shooting gay porn. Um, okay. So... <laughs> But no, but so, no, that's also mine. Uh, I love Jake Busey, Jake Busey getting a baseball bat shoved down his throat. I will quickly interject with Chris. Chris was arguing with me about a little boy doing this and how impossible that was. A small child and can't it, do this. Yes, and I tried to make the point to you that this is all taking place in Malcolm's mind. Anything can happen. <laughs> no, but you have the moment with, with John Cusack where he feels the rain. There is a reality to the situation they're in. So the only way that Timmy could do it was it standing on a chair and then shoving it in. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't does. matter. It does matter. <laughs> Timmy Timmy can be a fucking ghost in this movie for no. all we know. It, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. That's less fun. <laughs> it's less fun, but it just I'm just tell, I'm just trying to explain to you this is in his mind, okay? Mind powers. He can do anything he wants i want a small child to shove a baseball bat down your throat well too late this is all in your head and i've already destroyed you with a baseball bat down your throat anyway uh what about your killer mvp look that goes to the entire cast for having to work in a torrential downpour the entire movie because that had to suck it did. You know, they, they did shoot most of this on a soundstage with, like, waterworks going and stuff. And as is typical with movies that deal with rain, that have people sitting in rain so much, uh, a lot of the cast did come down with the flu, oh, you know, no. th throughout the shoot. Because uh, that's just kind of what happens on these movies. You're dealing with cold and wetness for so long, you know. <laughs> that's not a good sign. Well, I mean, it's just what happens. Like you kind of, you kind of know that's gonna happen when you sign up for a rain movie. Like if you, if you're an actor and you read in a script that the movie is set during the rain, you better prepare yourself for a pretty shitty shoot. <laughs> like that, it just comes with the territory. But no, my mine goes to Michael Cooney just because I think that you know he he really flexes his writing talents with this. Uh, writes a really compelling story with fascinating characters. And, and I just think that, you know, he deserves a little recognition. Yeah. Uh, since I think he is probably so much more associated with, you know, Jack Frost and stuff like that. Which, again, I think Jack Frost is great. Mm -hmm. But I love that identity kind of shows you, you know, that the guy has talent. Yeah. <laughs> and he named a character Lou Sienna. <laughs> yes. The, the whole reason that you should give him the MVP. <laughs> All right, so every week on our Twitter, at Killer Critics, we always like to put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you thought of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on identity? Uh, love it. I will accept nothing less because I love this movie and I want everybody else to love it too. Well, love it did win. Yes. Uh, although this poll went way differently than I thought it would. Uh, so love it got 54.8%. It's fine got 16.1%. Don't Like It got 8.1%, and Large Never Seen It was 21%. So I'm actually kind of surprised for that because this movie's not that old, and it's generally pretty liked uh, by those that have seen it. So 
I'm kind of surprised that 21% voted never seen it. So that just, that just tells me y'all need to get on Netflix. I know every fucking one of you probably has Netflix. Go watch (laughs) Identity this weekend. It's great. (laughs) Go check it out. Uh, And if you're still listening to this and haven't watched it yet, what are you doing? You've you've ruined the whole movie for yourself. (laughs) It's still a good movie if you know everything. It is true. But anyway, um, so so we always like to get your comments as well for these. So these are all from Twitter. First up is at Radicus Maximus. So that's R-A-T-T-I-K-U-S-M-A-X-I-M-U-S. And they say, it was a pretty wild ride from start to finish. I'd recommend it to anyone who enjoys a good murder mystery flick. I don't think I've ever seen a bad John Cusack movie. This was no exception. I agree with you. I just don't think there is a bad John Cusack movie. Like, personally, I love American Sweethearts. It's not a great film, but he's fantastic in it. You're both wrong. John Cusack did a movie called Cell with Samuel L. Jackson based off of a Stephen King story, and I would argue that's a bad movie. (laughs) But is he bad in it? No, John Cusack himself is never bad. Yep, he's amazing. But but the statement from both of you that he's he's never done a bad movie, I would argue with because Cell is not good. (laughs) Stop maligning John Cusack. He's amazing. I'm not maligning John Cusack. (laughs) I'm maligning his movie choice to do Cell. Anyway, uh, thank you at Radicus Maximus for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is coming from at Real Feels Pod. So they have a podcast. You should listen to it. But that's R-E-E-L-F-E-E-L-S-P-O-D. And they say, this movie is an absolute trip. The first time watching it, you're caught up in the misdirection, the kills, and an epic what-the-fuck whodunit. Also, let's talk about that cast. So good. It has all the energy and twists of a dark Netflix miniseries crammed into one movie. Love it. Oh, my God. Now I want a dark Netflix dark netflix miniseries of identity because that would be amazing i will say identity would have made a great netflix miniseries and i would actually bet that had it been made today and not in 2003 that's probably the route that it would have gone (laughs) absolutely although i will say if you want a good murder mystery television series harper's island is fucking amazing yes Um, but yeah this is Look, I'm a little drunk right now, so I'm going to say that Identity is one of my favorite murder mysteries because I can't think of any other ones. But I'm pretty sure Sober Chris will also stand by this. I mean, it is. It's a great murder mystery. And and yeah, now I just can't stop thinking about the fact how Netflix would totally have made this as a miniseries now had it been made today. But Netflix, I uh, want a murder mystery series. Well, who knows? Maybe Identity will get remade at some (gasps) point and it would be and it will be a miniseries. But anyway, uh, thank you at Real Feels Pod for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up was a comment from at the film maestro. So that's the film M A E S T R O. And they say five star film seen it multiple times and have noticed something new on several occasions, a masterpiece. I will agree with you. Every time I watch this movie, I notice something new. My new thing that I noticed with the last time we watched it is the fact that they fucking leave George's body just crammed between a car <laughs> and a goddamn dumpster. And that's so fucking rude. I'm not sure that that's the notice something new that they're <laughs> nope, that they're, that's my notice something they're talking new. about, but um, but no, but I completely agree. It is something like that. You know, one thing I didn't mention during the during uh, the other portion of the episode is that you know it's going back to the duality thing. I love when the door closes and the and the six flips down to a nine because mm-hmm. again that's just implying I think the duality of the film and how there's kind of two sides to sort of every person and every sort of event going on so (laughs) i love the fact that you noticed something smart and i noticed something stupid the story of our life chris um (laughs) 
but anyway, thank you at the film maestro for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from uh, my friend Sarah that I mentioned earlier at sinful underscore redhead. So that's S I N N F U L underscore redhead. And like I said, she has a podcast. You should follow her and check it out. Uh, she says, you know, I love this movie, LOL, but seriously, this movie is amazing. I like that it's shown through the perspective of someone suffering from mental illness. We see the world through his eyes and take a peek into their mind. It's fascinating. Also, Pruitt Taylor Vince and John Cusack are absolutely fantastic. My favorite scene is when Ed is trying to convince the court that he is himself bouncing back between John and Pruitt. Absolutely amazing and heartbreaking scene. Look, that has to be one of my favorite scenes as well. But I like it for shitty reasons and not- Where's my furs? Yes, I love I love Joan Cusack just fucking freaking out about his face. But no, it's it's really impressive. I think it is one of the films that does try to handle mental disorder a little bit better, which horror totally. which horror films aren't always great about because it's very easy to use it as a boogeyman. Yeah, they're better now, but they were bad for a long time about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but no, that scene is my favorite, but I like it for terrible reasons. <laughs> no, it's a great scene. And, and Sarah's absolutely right. That that actually is brilliant filmmaking right there. It's actually really difficult to shoot a scene like that with two characters in the same position in the same role, mm-hmm. kind of bouncing back and forth between them. Like that that's great direction, that's great editing, that's great acting, honestly, mm-hmm. you know. So um so no, I'm glad that she pointed that scene out. It's a good one that we didn't really get to with this, but uh, so anyway, thank you at sinful underscore Reddit for the comment. Appreciate it. And last up is a question from at Shannon Morant. So that's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-O-R-A-N-T. And they ask, what did you think about the ending? And do you think it was more Malcolm's mind than Timmy being the killer? Ooh, that's a tough question. So I think we talked about this a little bit. Timmy definitely feels like the representation of Malcolm trapped in that moment when you know, all the personalities were created. He's trapped in that that anger, that resentment, and all that kind of stuff. So, personally, look, I like, I like the ending. I like the surprise ending of Timmy showing up. I love the kid being the killer. But, you know, it is a questionable ending. Yeah, well, we talked about the questionable side of it, but to answer James's question, you know, I, I will just say that, I don't know, they're kind of one and the same to me. Like, I do... Like I said, I do think that Timmy is kind of the purest representation of Malcolm's mind, but I think that maybe the way James is saying it is that, you know, did did Malcolm's mind kind of like reject Paris as the winning personality? I think that that's potentially a way to look at it, you know. I, yeah. I do think I do think that that's uh that that's possible is that, you know, now, now granted we know that Timmy faked his own death, but but I do think that's possible or, or, or a different way to look at it is that Malcolm's mind, well, it tried to, uh, well, it tried to become Paris, mm-hmm. uh, ultimately rejected that and said, no, we're, we're stuck in this angry trauma and we're not, we're not going to be doing that today. So. <laughs> yeah. Cause if Paris wins and ostensibly that means that his mom who left him locked in a closet in a motel wins and i think that'd be a hard thing for any traumatic kid well, to, to accept it would and, and i mean it's interesting because it kind of becomes a, a little bit like psycho and norman bates in that sense you know mm-hmm. where where i think which i do think is interesting i i don't quite know that there's any sort of trans reading here with this but mm-hmm. but i do think it's interesting that malcolm almost becomes paris aka his mother uh and ultimately rejects that but 
you know, I hope that Malcolm finds his orange grove. You know, he's had a rough life. He well, deserves his orange grove. Well, he's pure murdery to me now, so I'm not <laughs> sure I'm not sure that but I'm wishing if, for a happy ending for him now. Maybe <laughs> if Timmy gets an orange grove, he'll chill the fuck out. Maybe if Paris become comes back as a fucking zombie. <laughs> Like Pamela Voorhees or something, then... Can you have zombie personalities? Why the fuck not, Chris? It's all in your mind, and we've talked about this. <laughs> um, so who knows? But anyway, uh, thank you at Shannon Moran for the comment. Appreciate it. As usual, you know, kind of wrapping up with releases for this week. Not really much that I found worth mentioning. Uh, one film that I did want to mention is You Are Not My Mother, which is coming to VOD on the 25th. I have not seen it. It's a film that I believe deals with a mother who disappears and then comes back and is not herself kind of, you know, seems to touch on something's possessing her and stuff like that. I've not seen it, like I said, but I have heard really good things about this movie. So, uh, so maybe that's one that you can look forward to checking out this week, but that's kind of it on releases. We had a really good week last week, kind of bare minimum <laughs> this week. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about Poltergeist, <laughs> not the remake, the original, Chris is laughing because Chris, for some reason, doesn't like this movie. And I'm hoping that this rewatch. I have weird taste. <laughs> you have bad taste, is what it is. <laughs> I'm a raccoon. What do you expect from me? Um, so that should be fun. Probably a lot of me being upset. So that is streaming on Tubi, I believe. So you can check it out there if you want to get started on your homework or whatever and <laughs> get a little head start there. Uh, otherwise, that's going to do it for us on Identity. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And thank you for listening to Fans. Have a good night. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore horror underscore critic new episodes release every friday so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way i like them have a good night horror fans <laughs>